Pretty Policeman, Multiple Paradox Net Files. These are some of The Little Darlings. It's great to be gay. Our favourite episode titles. Right on, sister. Please be gentle. From all three seasons of the logbooks. You might well be very angry. So we've printed them on a t-shirt and a poster. Crash pad needed. Kiss my rump. And our limited stock is for sale at thelogbooks.org. Interested and willing? With profits going to Switchboard. Thank you for being here. So take a look at thelogbooks.org slash shop. I think I can tell you a story. Can I say fellatio on here? Yes. Okay. 10.45am. <laughs> this is London Gay Switchboard. Hello? Hello? A hedgehog has just walked into my kitchen. How can I get it out? <laughs> Unfortunately, I forgot to ask whether it was gay or not. <laughs> I hope that Felicia and Hedgehogs weren't in the same story because that could maybe be a bit painful. It sounds incredibly painful. <laughs> but, you know, this is this is part of being a volunteer at Switchboard. You, you never know. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I mean that you never know what that person's going to say when you pick up the phone. Ah, yes. You're listening to The Logbooks, stories from Britain's LGBTQ plus history and conversations about being queer today. In partnership with Switchboard, the LGBT plus helpline. I'm Adam Smith. And I'm Tash Walker. In this season, we're reading through the notes made by the volunteers who took calls between 1983 and 1991. Episode four, A Hedgehog in My Kitchen. We've got some funny stories about strength and joy and laughter, a light in the dark after our first three episodes of this season. And the voices you're going to hear include a nurse who found humour even during the early years of HIV and AIDS, women who found strength on the lesbian marches and switchboard volunteers who had to handle some really peculiar calls. Let's start with Femi Otitoju, who read out that hedgehog story at the beginning She's got another story and something to say about why these kinds of stories are important. <laughs> this is a logbook entry from February 16, 1989. 1.45am, a first. A caller rang, a typesetter, making a cocktail list, wanted to know how to spell Zaza Gabor. That's just lovely. And those are the things that would lift you. You know, you take the call from somebody who'd just been diagnosed with HIV or something, and then you'd put the phone down, and then you'd get this kind of sweet, sweet thing. And it was lovely to be there for all of those things. Yeah, we were the first people to call for anything. We were all we were always open. We always answered. We always took your calls seriously. Of course people ask for everything. Hello, my name's Lee Chislett. At the age of 21, I started working at a HIV ward in central London. It sounds like it was all gloomy and it wasn't. There was bizarrely a lot of laughter and a lot of fun. And I think I can tell you a story. Can I say fellatio on here? <laughs> there was a lot of, I was 21 and a lot of teasing of me with, in my naivety. And, you know, some of the guys used to come to me and say, you don't mind just teasing you, do you, Lynn? I was going, no, I love it. I love the attention. You know what I mean? But I can remember there was a guy in there and they were very into the, the leather scene. And one of their friends had become very ill 
I would become ill and he'd become really depressed. Well, he was, he was unhappy. He was scared, what am I saying? He was depressed. He was scared and had become quite quiet. And, and there, was a, there was these guys in there who I'd got to know a little bit. And I came on my shift and go bursting in. And they were eating, I didn't know, a curry or something they'd got to take away. And I, I went around the corner and I said, oh, that, that looks nice. What's that? And they said, oh, it, it's fellatio. Would you like to try some? And I was going, oh, not now. I said, I'm vegetarian. Is it vegetarian? And they were going, oh, yeah, yeah, you got, we've, got, we've got the vegetarian version. And I was going, oh, well, maybe I'll try some a bit later. And I went to my friend Jean on the ward. And I went, Jean, what's fellatio? And she touched me, oh, for fuck's sake, Leif, what's the matter with you? And... <laughs> so, Tash, do you fancy some fellatio? Uh, you know, despite being a vegetarian, I've actually never had the taste for it. <laughs> <laughs> we wrote that joke, Liz. Liz. <laughs> Humour is a great survival mechanism, though, isn't it? It is, and especially as Lee mentions here in the early years of HIV and AIDS, and actually when you're going through any dark period as an individual or as a community, you need to keep things light. If you can't laugh, you'll cry. Yeah. As calls really increased throughout this period for Switchboard between 1983 and 1991, still above that Hausman's bookshop in King's Cross, the phones ringing and ringing louder and louder, Switchboard got closer and closer to a really important milestone. Logbook entry, Friday, September the 3rd, 1982, 3.22pm. Dear comrades in struggle, as you're all doubtless aware, we're expecting our millionth call very soon, so we're having a party to celebrate. The development group have the happy task of arranging this for social event of the year. It is for present switchboard volunteers, ex-switchboard volunteers we're still in contact with, frogs, that's friends of gay switchboard, they were our um, regular donors, and various tadpoles, newts, etc., etc. We have 90 volunteers, 200 ex-volunteers, and 200 frogs. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they were looking for us to find a venue for them all. Ah, yes. Our one millionth call at Switchboard came through today at 12.58pm. It was from an American tourist, but he wouldn't give his name. The call was taken by Robbie Brown. Bob Workman's here to take photos and the champagne flowed. And I remember that call very, very well, because actually it was from an American tourist who had just landed from Chicago, who was looking to find where the coal home was. How could he get to the coal home? And then also the champion, because he heard that was a gay bar. And no, he didn't want any publicity. Thank you very much. <laughs> he said, you are our millionth caller. We'd like to, you know, we'd like to interview you. We'd like to give you a, you know, bottle of champagne, if you like. You know, we'll even just give me the bottle of champagne. No, thank you very much. Thank you very much for your help. Bye-bye. So, you know, that, uh, that, was, uh, that was that, you know. And I'm Julian House. March 4th of March 1984 was Switchboard's 10th birthday. I'm Lisa Power and I was a volunteer on Switchboard between 1979 and 1994. Uh, and I remember we held a private party for Switchboard volunteers and our friends at the Union Tavern. And that's where Mike taught me to um, at least play with fire. I couldn't actually fire eat, but I was waving fire up and down my arms and he was fire eating. 
And it's where Debbie Klein and James Neil Kennelly sang the masochism tango by Tom Lehrer. And there were a load of other acts as well. And that was a great party. I remember that. It was a hoot. I also remember a big benefit for us at Heaven. And I think that was for our 10th birthday as well. And there's still a photo of me out there dressed as the Statue of Liberty, drinking a a glass of something or the other. I have a feeling it was a beer. And leaning leaning on the um, entry table with another switchboard volunteer, David, at my side. This is a logbook entry from 27th May 1991. Things fall apart, the centre cannot hold, W.B. Yeats. Was he talking about this rapidly disintegrating logbook? Logbook entry, 29th September 1983. The arrival of the computer. Large coloured in letters, all capitals coloured in and with training stripes behind. This is the first arrival of a computer in switchboard. It's important and the correspondent in the logbook wants you to know. The computer working party urgently needs people who are willing to familiarise themselves with the system and act as trainers for other voles. Please, in capitals, anyone familiar with the use of microcomputers who hasn't yet come out, please reveal her his presence to us. Just pop a little note in my pigeonhole. This is from William, the computer working party. Switchboard's first ever computer. Yes, it was a very exciting thing. It was next door <laughs> in the uh, in the office behind. Um, I was always tech queen anyway, so I thought we were a bit slow to that one. It was literally used for minutes and for for transferring the files, which had been largely done on typewriters and stuck in. Um, so then they they were collated on the computer and then they were printed out and put into the files. It wasn't like you know a computer that you could access a database and use. Uh, while you were talking to anybody on the phone. It was really just a glorified typewriter that you used um, to print things. But it was still very exciting. So we were all very excited when the computer arrived at Switchboard, but really it couldn't do a lot. We had to go in and look at it. <laughs> Did no code, anyone could get on it. But, you know, it, and it was DOS, you know, its operating system was DOS. It was like a little cursor and a blank screen and you typed it was black and white. I mean, it really could not do. You know, the machine was used to process the information, to churn it out in a way that we could use it, which is to put it back onto paper and into the files, because that's where things were good. You know, the computer was used to print off bits of, um, uh, little bits of print, which would then be attached to pins, which would be put on the map of where we could use them. This is a logbook entry from 8th March 1991. A great quote from a transsexual that rang today. I hope I don't find a man like I used to be. P.S. Her boobs are growing so fast she offers us her discarded bras. Well, for anyone who wants them. <laughs> These are all just so lo- lovely logbook countries to listen to and memories from our uh, contributors. Logbooks falling apart, new computers. I mean, Switchboard still has ongoing computer issues like oh, anyone in 2020. I was going to ask you that. How advanced is the technology at Switchboard now? 
it's a lot more advanced than it was uh, in this period of time. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all you're going to say? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's, it's, it's lovely to hear Lisa talking about Switchboard's 10th birthday as well. It reminds me of this picture that's in the archive of all of the volunteers uh, together smiling and laughing. This black and white picture at the camera. Just it looks so much fun. I like that entry that Richard read about the arrival of the computer. One of the specifications of the computer was that it had a 10 megabyte hard disk, which is just uh, <laughs> it's just brilliant. I think just me saying that on this audio file, that one sentence is probably more than 10 megabytes. Yeah, right. <laughs> and how about that story about the bras being available <laughs> from someone who doesn't need them anymore? It's so giving. Yes. <laughs> and actually, Claire's got a great story about uh, the political symbol of the bra amidst the powerful lesbian strength marches in 1988. Like you know, lesbian strength marches, completely invisible. <laughs> you know, there's two, three thousand women marching down the street in central London blocking the traffic. Didn't, it, didn't make news at all. It was still kind of invisible in that way. But it felt really good to be visible on the street, to be out shouting on the street. It was lovely. I love, I love shouting. <laughs> Hello, I'm Claire Truscott. I've been out and proud for over 30 years. Lesbian strength marches are weird events. I liked wearing very feminine looking clothes. I used to make my own clothes. I always had an in, I used to buy like jumble sale clothes, what you'd now call vintage, but was then just called second hand um so i had all these like 50s frocks and big hats and gloves and um chunky belts and oh i was very much into accessories love me accessories always always with flat shoes or boots so i could run um and i turn up at pride um pride and yeah great time everybody everybody loved everybody turn up at lesbian strength in a dress Everybody give, give you an evil eye. Everybody look at you like you're, you're committing some some unspoken uh, sin. Um, yeah, I love dressing up for all pride marches, but whoa, forget dressing up for the lesbian strength marches. No, it's just not on. Not not uh, not socially acceptable, shall we say, amongst lesbians. Some women decided to have an impromptu sitting probably on Whitehall, part of the Lesbian Strength March, and it was raining. It was cold. We'd been standing around for hours before the march began. We'd been walking for a while. There was going to be an awful long walk afterwards. You know, I was getting pretty cold, pretty pissed off. And I, I just said to some random woman who near, near me, it was like, oh, my tits are freezing off. I wish I had a bra on. And all she said to me was, you don't wear a bra, do you? <laughs> I remember the dyke marches very clearly. Actually, before the dyke marches, there was the lesbian strength marches. So throughout the 80s, they were lesbian strength. Um, sometimes they were very tiny and we marched up to West London. I like the lesbian strength marches because I could wear my dresses and not get outshone by the drag queens, which I couldn't do at Pride. So I saved my ball bands for lesbian strength. And I have some glorious pictures of that. I remember the dyke marches um, being uh, small, much smaller, uh, again, slightly more political, but as I say, they were called lesbian strength until re re relatively recently. Now, I remember Copper saying to me, are you on the right march? 
because <laughs> I, I think because I had full glam on and I looked like a girl. <laughs> you thought I was on the march. My friend and I got locked into Brixton Black Women's Centre one night. We worked so hard to let them let us use this centre. They'd gone off and left us because they didn't they weren't overstock, I think, because they didn't let black lesbians in place. And we were like sewing this banner ready for the I'm sure it was a lesbian strength march the next day. And they were and they locked us in. <laughs> Uh, we didn't notice not sequencing on all the things. <laughs> <laughs> lesbian strength marches were like lesbian things in those days were. Where are, I mean, I do think lesbians are much more glam than they were. I mean, there was always femmes, obviously, in that. Not, I very much subscribed to it, but there were always women who kind of did that. Um, but mostly, no, because we were trying really hard to get away from the gender stereotypes. And it was very, a lot of us were very feminist in it. But so the first one I went to was in '86. Was brilliant. It was just fantastic. It was all these women together. It was not like we were in a minority. It was not like a few women. There was like a few hundred dykes taking up their space, walking down the middle of the road, saying, "We're here and fuck you, and we're going to stay here." But we also did get an enormous amount of shit from this. So there was like things thrown at us. Got the cat calls you fucking dyke, you need a stiff dick, you know, you don't know what it's about, you know, men sort of like gesturing at us by grabbing hold of their crutches, you get beer bottles thrown at you and stuff. It was pretty gross the way that you could be treated on some of these marches, especially if you weren't part of the main group of the march, if sometimes if the march spread out a little, these brave guys would feel sort of empowered then to try and sling stuff at you. And you get spat at as well, stuff like that. So you tried to keep together in the marches. But there was strength pulled from that. There was strength pulled from each other. We had our banners, we had our huge labras, you know, we would which a double-headed axe. So we would carry this stuff and we would shout, scream, beat drums, sing, you know, it was a tremendous community thing. And that brought women much more together to realise that. There weren't one or two of us. There were hundreds of us. And we weren't quiet. We weren't meek. We weren't kind. We were out there. We were fucking powerful and we were going to take our space. Yes, Diana. <laughs> oh, wow. <clears throat> such such energy. I know. I know. It's great that she's, she can still bring that energy out like 30 odd years later from being on that march. It's That's like fantastic. it's like she's just arriving home after it. Yeah, with her double headed axe. <laughs> I actually had no idea the lesbian strength marches existed until we were making this podcast and I was talking to the contributors, mm. Diana, Claire. It's amazing to hear those memories. Did you know about them, Adam? No, the lesbian strength marches are yet another thing that I did not know about. And from Claire, here's another thing. There was a time when I had a, a bisexual flatmate and um, she was the contact for the bisexual London women's group. But she went out a lot. And so, you know, there, there was my number had been left at places like Switchboard. And so, you know, lonely bisexuals phoning up saying, oh, I've never met another bisexual, would be given what was my home number uh, to phone. And because the flatmate, the bisexual flatmate, was out adamanting doing whatever she was doing, I ended up counselling a whole load of very timid bisexual women. I said, oh, no, the bisexual's not here at the moment. She's, she's out somewhere. Um, I'm lesbian. You can talk to me. <laughs> but that was, that was probably the... the about 1984, 85, 86, that sort of time. 
Yeah, and some of those phone calls were hilarious. <laughs> there was no continuum back then, you know, there was no sexual fluidity. No, you, you had to be one or the other. There was a sort of feeling that if you were bisexual, you could just disappear back into the uh, heterosexual closet. I don't know. I was, I was often accused of being bisexual back in the 80s. Um, I mean, my personal feeling on it is that we're all bisexual to some extent or another. It's just some people express it very much down one end of the spectrum or the other. Um, and I must say that as soon as I discovered women, I didn't really want to know men. <laughs> um, and I've been with women ever since. But, you know, I've, I've been... I've had two men who wanted to marry me. Um, I went out with my first boyfriend for five years when I was a teenager. I slept with an awful lot of men. So when all those men used to say to me, it's like, well, how do you know? It's like, how many have you got to try? <laughs> this was all useful background when I was cancelling the random bisexuals who'd phoned up wanting to speak to my flatmates. There was one bit of humour that we did have. My name is Diana James, and I was a switchboard volunteer between 88 and 94, 95. Something that used to make us laugh, which was really childish back then, but it was funny, is that you used to get caught sometimes with a wank call. And it was no matter how experienced you were. You Generally, the more experience you got, the more times you'd pick it up. But not always. Sometimes you'd still get caught. And the frustration then, when at the end they go, oh, right, thanks, and put the phone down, it was like, oh, shit, caught again. So what we did like that, if someone got caught like that, we'd have like a little sticker and it got wanked and it was, you'd stick it on your forehead. <laughs> so for the rest of your shift, you're sitting there with a sticker on your forehead with wanked written over it. So if someone comes in and that sort of thing, they look in and go, ah, you got caught then. Because you're sitting there with a little sticker on your forehead going, wanked. <laughs> it was just childish and silly. I definitely uh, would have ended up with one of those post-its on my forehead. I remember one uh, call I took where I gently challenged the caller um, because I thought that they were wanking. Mm-hmm. And turns out they were just walking up some stairs and getting rather out of breath. <laughs> Uh, so I obviously apologised. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. The work at Switchboard is like so hard. You've you've got to have a sense of humour about it, I guess. Yeah, it can be sometimes really difficult. You're completely right. And here's a logbook entry that demands a little respect. <laughs> this is a logbook entry from 11th of March, 1990. Call around to say how he could become gay. 16-year-old absolutely besotted by the lead singer in Erasure. Dresses like his idol... Has his hairstyle the same, copies his mannerisms too. Lead singer is gay, so our 16-year-old wants to be gay too. How? What's the secret? Any answers? This is a logbook entry from October 7th, 1986. The volunteer who made the note was Costas. The phone room's fluorescent light tube was, I'm afraid to say, fit in error and without consultation by our over-ambitious electrician. He doesn't normally charge us any money for his work, so I can't really ask him to change it. We've decided to keep it for the moment, although I'll be buying a softer tube, as the present one is rather harsh. However, if enough people wish the light to be put back away the way it was, then it can be arranged. Please let me know. 
And here are some comments from the volunteers. It's like McDonald's. I like it. So do I. Would be good with a warm white tube. Mid pink for preference. How's the lighting at Switchboard these days, Tash? Terribly unflattering, considering <laughs> it's run by, you know, queers. Did you ever get the mid pink hue in the fluorescent light tube just right? <laughs> or does it is it still like McDonald's? I I don't want to say that. <laughs> Come on, you're a bright spark. We're working from home now, Adam, so <laughs> So anyway, finally, a lovely story from this period. We wanted to return to Lynn and Elaine, who in the mid to late 80s really got together and started building that life. Oh. I would say that looking back and reflecting on this really difficult time, it really was time for us to cement our relationship. And I guess as we started our life together in a sort of full-time way... It wasn't quite as important to go out to clubs because like most lesbians, once they've got what they want, they start staying at home and eating cakes and drinking tea <laughs> and playing with the cat, of course. Or in we our didn't case, it was a little dog. <laughs> it was a chihuahua, so it looked like a cat. <laughs> but generally speaking, we went on from that time to uh, develop an infrastructure of friends from all walks of life and we've had a very happy and fulfilled life together. Looking back, I know that I wouldn't be the woman I am today if it wasn't for you. Oh, thank you, darling. Me too. It's not always been easy. No. But I think the big thing is that we've always been able to communicate. Mm. Yeah, that's the important thing. And I feel at this time of my life really happy. I'm pretty sure that I am the best I can be, yeah. at least at the moment anyway. That's good. <laughs> so the last 150 years haven't been too much difficulty for you. <laughs> no, not too many, no. I just remember the good times, I think. Mm. We had a lot of good times. Mm. Have. Mm. Have. Having. Having. Shivani's bit of queer joy is Lynn and Elaine, so... <laughs> <laughs> Just listening to them, uh, yeah, definitely makes make, makes me feel a bit happy and warm and fuzzy. Yeah, it always brings a smile to my face hearing Lynn and Elaine's stories. The other, the thing about them is that also they they do like joke and laugh with each other as they're talking, and that that's just that is really nice. They have a lovely dynamic. Yeah, I tell you who else has a lovely dynamic. <laughs> oh my god, creepy! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> A seven-foot drag queen dressed as Marie Antoinette singing Wet Ass Pussy by Cardi B. That's the kind of thing that gives me my queer joy today. It's good to have such a niche, Adam, or at least to know it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, drag is amazing. Drag kings, drag queens, drag performers are just so much fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, And I'm really missing seeing them, and I'm also really missing live music, which Mm -hmm. is something I absolutely love. As we were reflecting back on all the laughter and queer joy in this episode, it made us think about how LGBTQ plus people have fun today. So we spoke to Thigh High, the band who put queer joy at the centre of their music. Hey, I'm Tom Rasmussen. I form 50% of the front of <laughs> Thigh High. Um, I am an author, journalist, drag performer and international supermodel. (laughs) 
<laughs> my name is Hattie. I'm the other 50% of the front half of Thigh High. I'm an illustrator, artist, drag king, performer. Thigh High is a sort of glam rock, queer, pop-inspired project. Obviously, it's a band, but it's also an expression of queer joy and fun. Uh, yeah, exactly. And our focus is to sort of tell queer stories that are both about sorrow, definitely, like a lot of queer sorrow stories can be, but also loads about joy and humour <laughs> and like iconic inspirations that might not necessarily be lauded as queer in the first place. So like our grandmas, for example, and, you know, or like a trans rocket that we wrote a story about, or like... um a really badass babysitter that Hattie had when she was growing up who sort of like kind of forced her to shave her legs and smoke weed when Hattie <laughs> was like 12 but sort of like these legendary icons who like inform us all as queer people yeah it's like finding our own queer heroes where there was a sort of void growing up mm. and sort of retelling our histories to put more of them in there and to sort of take them out and give them a spotlight these kind of unusual characters so Go Slow is a kind of experiment song. Basically, the story arc is about res- kind of trying to not fall into the arms of your dildo lover <laughs> and then just kind of giving in and be like, fuck it. And then the batteries kind of go. But really, it's like an experiment in terms of like song structure because we wanted to like basically reflect an orgasm. Every night I try to resist sacred pleasures but every time i fail i fall into your arms i like the buzz like to click into pleasure but every night i fail i fall into your arms take me It's based on my dildo, who is called Tiffany. (laughs) And it's actually, I think, the first song we ever wrote together. And it's when we were living in an office building about five years ago. And there was this chaos of lots of queers living with us. And this previously sort of like maybe shameful thing became like everyone would be talking about it or accidentally walking in on each other or one of us would wander out and like raid the TV remote and like get the batteries and like put them back in. And we sort of wanted to demonstrate that as people start to open up and talk openly about masturbation, it also doesn't have to be this like super serious subject. And it's actually like the queer failure of like moments where the batteries die is actually funny and we wanted to write about that. Mm. It starts off really sort of gentle mm. and then it goes sort of faster and faster and faster and by the end it's like the BPM is like double. Yes. Which was really hard to record <laughs> also really funny because you like like lots of many take Bye.
I think humor is like runs through our community. Like God knows we need joy and humor, but also talking about this, the story you've talked about in the podcast today, it's our connective tissue as a community, I think. And mm-hmm. I think it's like what, what really saddens Hattie and I a lot when we watch, you know, TV with queer characters in or when we read books about queer characters or when we listen to some queer music, you know, not all, there's loads of great stuff, but like a lot of it is really weighted by a sincerity because a lot of people who are taking up space in a public sphere kind of have to present a sincere story in order mm. to be taken seriously. And I think that's really important. Uh, Nana's on a Rampage was a tribute to uh, Tom's grandma. And actually my uh, great aunt, as in the woman in the song, is Marjorie is based on her. We wanted to really pay tribute to these amazing women and then through the video also imagine ourselves as older queers because we feel like we we grew up not really knowing like what our, our future would look like so we were like well let's imagine ourselves at 85 years old put on prosthetics and sort of rampage around town and you know let's create that future retirement moment because <laughs> this is what we want it to be like because there's something so liberating like my grandma Kathleen was such an iconic inspiration mm-hmm. in that like she sort of we never really discussed the fact that I was gay per se but or like you know trans or like a drag queen but we she would like make me dresses and give me her makeup and it was this weird sort of tacit understanding that like we were both icons basically and like mm-hmm. there's something so liberating mm-hmm. there was something so liberating I think about mapping all our insecurities about being queer because there's so many growing up and there's still so many about Mm. safety and about rights and about like love and about like you know shame and all the things that affect our community and like what was amazing with my grandma as I watched her get older which was sort of from when I was born onwards she was really sort of like she loved image she was really we were really poor but she loved to dress up and lacquer her hair and wear lipstick and then as she kind of got older she still do those things but she just kind of gave less of a shit about what people thought of her and I was we you know we've talked a lot about how amazing sort of getting older and not giving as much of a shit about <laughs> worrying about the things that queer people are forced to worry about by society so they're kind of a, a map in a way yeah, they kind of yeah. became these sort of like wonderful maps of like oh my god imagine how radical our futures will be rather than how narrow they'll be yeah my great aunt Marjorie, who I never knew really, she died when I was eight years old, Um, but she never married and often had, like it wasn't confirmed that she was queer, but she often had these very close female like friendships and also was very, not, I don't know if genderqueer is the right word, but like she was very, the way that she, you know, she would like smoke cigars and like always be next door with all the men, like like everyone described her as just like, hot like mean but like iconic like harsh woman that would yeah dress to the nines in these like iconic outfits and was like horrible <laughs> but also like so such an amazing woman sort of like the same way miss trunchbull is like a queer icon yes or the same way like angelica <laughs> houston in the witch is a queer oh, icon. exactly you know I mean? there's like, like these like powerful like it's, it's like called... watching 101 dalmatians yes. you know what i mean you're quite like hang on 
she's the Viola Deville is obviously the icon. I mean, it's so obvious that's like and the oldest queer like, idea ever. But but also the heteronormativity of like Roger and Anita, and they're like <laughs> close as they're like. Oh. And she even <laughs> says in one donation, she's like, don't get married, Anita. Be a fashion icon. Mm. She doesn't. And so it's really fun to <laughs> read the baddies as our heroes. Humour is, God knows you need it. It's awful. A lot of the stuff that our community has been through and a lot of the yeah. stuff that, like, say, if I can only talk about myself personally, like, that mm-hmm. I've been through, by comparison to a lot of, like, non-queer people's lives, they would be shocked. But mm. the thing that got me through high school was humour. My God, the thing that got me through high school was, like, laughing at people, laughing at myself, you know, kind of making a joke. And I obviously don't think that's always the way. And I'm sure I have some deep buried trauma for not like really engaging with it. But like, sometimes, you know, when you do get a rock thrown at you in the playground, (laughs) sometimes you have to make a witty quip back and then laugh about it with your friends or else every day would have been impossible. So I'd get rocks thrown at me every day. I think it's completely true. And as a a lesbian, like I, I have, who was completely invisible and like that's we have like the opposite sometimes the opposite problem which is like yeah you you aren't as visible so you might not get all the rocks everything but repression and and being in the closet for so long there was such a seriousness and a weightedness to that and I just wish (laughs) I could have been laughing about it you know and I met Tom like in my early 20s and that's when we started like making music but also like having a hilarious time and I suddenly was like oh this queer thing that I've been treating so seriously and has been such a like burden it's been so horrible it was actually like just a big joke really hmm. <laughs> and that's like wonderful oh we really hope that Tom and Hattie and all the stories in this episode have brought you some joy next in our trip from 83 to 91 through the logbooks we're going to turn our microphones towards the media. Calls to Switchboard are confidential, so to bring the logbooks to life, we've changed the callers' names. The Logbooks is produced by Shivani Dave, Tash Walker and Adam Smith, in partnership with Switchboard, the LGBT plus helpline. If you think other people would like the logbooks, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. These ratings and reviews really help others to discover the show. You can send us your feedback and stories to hello at thelogbooks.org or join the conversation on social media with the hashtag TheLogbooks. Our music is by Tom Foskett-Barnes and our artwork is by Natalie Dotto. Thanks to Steph Dickers and team at the Bishopsgate Institute, the BFI National Archive, the folks at Acast, Mace, the Media Archive for Central England, Peter Zaccaroli at West Digital, Content is Queen, the staff and volunteers at Switchboard, and all the contributors who shared their stories. Switchboard continues to take phone calls from 10am to 10pm every day. If you're affected by any of the issues in this podcast or need to discuss anything to do with your gender identity or sexuality, you can call Switchboard on 0300 330 0630 
Email chris at switchboard.lgbt or instant message via switchboard.lgbt where you can also donate money or time to help.